I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and we are live on this Sunday early afternoon. And we'll be reflecting on England's exit from the World Cup. Harry Kane skying a crucial penalty just when England needed him most. Uh, we'll get into all of that. We'll talk about Bukayo Saka's performance. We'll discuss the fact that both Ben White and Thomas Partey are back in Arsenal training. And uh, we'll be taking some of your thoughts and questions, of course, from the live chat box as well. Really, really looking forward to this one. A uh, bit of a casual chat. You know, there isn't an awful lot of Arsenal news. Uh, there haven't been an awful lot of Arsenal rumours uh, in circulation since, of course, uh, we did a show yesterday. So we're going to be talking a lot more about England. We're going to be talking a lot more about Bukayo Saka, about Ben White. We'll, we'll touch on Harry Kane as well. Gareth Southgate, should he continue on? as England manager. There were a lot of people out there that didn't want him going into the competition. And I guess that opinion uh, is only stronger now following England's exit. So, um, yeah, we'll get into all of that today. But before we do that, before we dive right in, if I could ask you all to please leave a like on the video, that would be very, very much appreciated. If you're wondering why I'm dressed in a sort of Christmassy jumper, I'm going to like a a Christmas gathering slash barbecue because we're Greek and we do barbecues even at minus two degrees uh, with some uh, friends a little bit later on this afternoon, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, might have a couple of drinks as well um, to celebrate Bukayo Saka being England's best player last night, I guess. Uh, but anyway, let's go over to the chat. Let's say a few hellos before we dive into it. Damien Kelly says, hurry up, Harry. Uh, this was sent at 12.09. The stream wasn't scheduled <laughs> until 12.45, but even still, I somehow... Managed to be late. Big hello to Matt. Hope you're well, mate. Beg your pardon. Uh, Amira is with us as well. Big hello to Dave. Uh, James Bond says that uh, Harry pulling a Harry Kane on us, bottling it. Do you know what? I've gone outside and I've moved my car to under a tree just in case Harry Kane's penalty lands and smashes my windscreen. Jesus, it was awful, wasn't it? Uh, big hello to Henry. He says, good afternoon. H, come on, you gunners. Uh, Martin says uh, Kane went full Spursy. And uh, Guna Rob says, back to hoping Kane flops all season. That We'll do all of that chat uh, in a minute. But let's talk about England's performance and subsequent exit overall. Because, listen, the reaction has obviously been really, really strong, um, as you'd imagine, as it always is when England crash out of a major tournament. You know, I always find it difficult to get my head around the levels of expectation around England. I don't really know where they come from. And, and I'll explain why this is this might sound harsh, um, but, you know, I've grown up on English football. OK, I was I've grown up in the UK. I, you know, I follow Arsenal, as you guys know. Um, and, and I think the Premier League is is the best product in the world. It's the best footballing product in the world outside of the Champions League. I think it's fantastic. OK, it's brilliant. Entertainment every single week. Um, elite teams, elite players, elite managers. Uh, elite tactical battles. There's so much to, you know, to admire about the Premier League. But what you have to also do and, and be aware of is that a lot of that comes from foreign imports. OK, so if we took all the foreign imports out of the Premier League, if we took look at it now, look at it today. If we took Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola out of the Premier League, would it be at the level that it is today? No, it wouldn't. If you took out, 
you know, some of the greats that have come here, the Arsene Wenger's, the Jose Mourinho's, if you took all of those people out, then, you know, the, the league would be a completely different animal. And, and what you have to realise is that that's not an exclusive issue with England, right? All of the top leagues in world football rely heavily on bringing in top quality foreign imports. And so the the level of the Premier League is is a bit of a red herring in terms of what you should then expect of England moving forward because the best players in the Premier League, for the most part, are foreign imports. You know, you've got a few. You know, I, I've been winding you guys up about him and I, and I will continue to obviously make jokes about Harry Kane and the fact that he's on a, a lifelong quest to end his career trophyless. We'll, we'll do that because we're an Arsenal podcast. But at the end of the day, you know, he is one of the better players in the Premier League. Bukayo Saka is certainly up there as well. Um, you know, and there's a fair few in that England squad that are in the conversation. But when you talk about the very, very elite in the Premier League, I think you're still looking at foreign imports. And that is something you have to remember, I think, when going into tournaments and into competitions and setting your expectations for England. So this is not a nation, and I've said this before, you guys have probably heard this before, that wins. Okay, England have won one major tournament in world football, and that was way back in 1966. My dad was two years old, which shows you how long ago that was. Okay, so to go into every competition expecting to win is ridiculous. To go into every competition expecting to compete is fair. And under Gareth Southgate, England have competed. Okay, they went to a World Cup semi final where they were beaten by Croatia. Uh, back in 2018, they obviously went to the Euros final in the 2020 competition that was obviously played a year later. So, you know, they've been competitive. And in this competition, they went out at the quarterfinal stage against the holders and many people's tip to win it, the French. But actually on the night, I thought England played really well. The first half, I think France edged it. But the second half, England were by quite some distance, in my opinion, the better side. And were very, very unlucky not to get something out of it. They were one penalty miss away from taking the game to extra time and possibly a penalty shootout. And you never know what happens then. Well, England don't normally do very well on penalty shootouts historically. But the point is, that's a bit of a lottery in some ways. And, you know, England, I thought, gave a really good account of themselves against a French side. But this is an incredibly strong French side. Okay, this is a French side that still has a lot of the World Cup winners that, you know, graced the pitch back in 2018, but also has a lot of new players, young, talented players that have come through and have only added to Didier Deschamps' riches. Chouameni, you know, silly foul to give away the penalty on, on Bukayo Saka, which levelled it for England. But outside of that, I thought he had a, a decent enough game. Um, you know, he scored a cracking goal to open the scoring. And I, I was on shows during the week where I was listening to people tell me, you know what, the French are going to be pushovers because Adrian Rabio and, and Chouameni in midfield are not very good and not up to it. And Declan Rice will, will have them and uh, Jordan Henderson will have them. Listen, if you think that, I don't know what you're watching every week. Aurelien Chouameni is a, is a fantastic player. Okay, Adrian Rabio has had criticism during his time at Juve, myself, from myself included. But he's still a good player when he turns up and he has turned up for France at this World Cup. And it's this kind of arrogance that drives me absolutely insane. Why should Declan Rice go out on the pitch and bully uh, a midfield? Why should he? What's Declan Rice achieved? Not an awful lot. 
You know, Declan Rice is a good player. He's been a good player in a West Ham side uh, that has done relatively well over the past couple of seasons. But he needs to make that step up. He needs to play at a higher level week in, week out with better players around him. And then I think you see Declan Rice develop. You know, as I said, Harry Kane is a great player. Jokes aside, he's a fantastic player. Bukayo Saka is a fantastic player. Phil Foden is a superb player. But there are areas in this England team where there are clear and obvious weaknesses that for some reason people just want to ignore. And I don't understand why. The back four, would you call that back four world-class? I'd say one of them is world-class. And that is Carl Walker, maybe a couple of years ago. John Stones on the cusp of, of being a top centre-back. Harry Maguire certainly isn't. Luke Shaw blows hot and cold. You move into midfield, as I say, Henderson not exactly at the peak of his powers, probably slightly on the decline. Declan Rice is still yet to go up a level, in my opinion. And so to, to look at this England squad and think there's weaknesses, I think is absolutely fair. But for some reason in this country, we want to ignore those and we want to just look at other teams and, and try and find reasons as to why England should beat them. England, on that run to the semi-finals of the World Cup, beat all of the teams that they should have. And England, on their run, to the final of the European Championships beat all of the teams they should have. England at this World Cup beat all of the teams they should have. You know, what was their run in the group stage? Iran, USA, who they drew with, and then Wales, who were arguably the worst team in the tournament. And then Senegal, which is a dream round of 16 type, which they got through uh, relatively unscathed and, and very, very comfortable in the end, in fact. But then you come up against France, it can go either way. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't expect to compete. England absolutely did compete. But what I am saying is you can't overreact when England go out to a team of that quality. And I don't understand why there's people out there going, sack Gareth Southgate, he's a mess, he's, he's awful, he's terrible, he's the one that cost us. England went out there and played brilliantly, I thought, in the second half. The team that Gareth Southgate set out went out there and played brilliantly and competed with the world champions. Give him his dues. Give him some credit. You know, the one thing I would question that Gareth Southgate did last night was taking off Bukayo Saka. I don't really see what the logic was behind that. I don't really see why he had to get Raheem Sterling into the picture, given he'd been away and returned. I think, you know, Raheem Sterling is an experienced player and has produced big moments for England. And maybe that was Gareth Southgate's thinking. Maybe Saka tired. Maybe Saka felt something that we didn't necessarily know about. I don't know, you know, but... That was the one thing that I looked at and I went, I'm not really sure about that. But other than that, I don't think Gareth Southgate did an awful lot wrong. People talk about his negative approach. You know, you've got to be respectful enough when you take on a position like France to understand your limitations. He'll look at that back four, Gareth Southgate, and think it's not great. And so the way that I, um, you know, the way that I can sort of counteract that or the way that I compensate for that is by being a little bit more defensive in my setup, in my tactics. And I, I think that's fair. You know, it's tournament football. It's very different to league football and people forget that quite a bit. Uh, T says, uh, Harry, uh, you're talking shit, mate. Stop the hate on England. He says, Rice is class. Walker is class. Saka, Kane, Bellingham, Henderson, Stones, Foden, all class, mate. You hate England. Say it how it is. I don't hate England. I just think that people are deluded about what England are capable of and have been for as long as I can remember. It's nothing to do with any dislike for England. I live here. I was raised here. I've got no issues with England whatsoever. I love English football. I make a career out of talking about English football. I don't have any issues with England. So don't try and spin that 
in this in conversation into something it's not. Rice's class, he's not a Champions League class player yet, is he? He's not done that yet. It's fair to say that he's not there yet. Carl Walker has been half fit at this tournament. You know, I thought actually Carl Walker had a decent game yesterday, but he's not the Carl Walker of three, four seasons ago. Saka is brilliant. Kane is brilliant. Bellingham will be brilliant and was great in large parts of this tournament, but he's still a young lad developing. And the fact that this country pinned their hopes on a 19-year-old proves my point. It proves my point. You know, Henderson, is he at the peak of his powers? I don't think so. Not right now. I think he gives you experience, know-how. Stones, as I said, is is probably on the cusp of being an elite-level player because of what he's done at club level, because of who he's played with at Manchester City and because of all that he's achieved. And I said that Phil Foden was class. Anyway, um, Dallas says, uh, sorry, mate, Southgate is the reason England are out. Piss-poor tactics when facing a team of equal quality. The Prem is the top... Um, uh, the, the top level of football. No way England shouldn't win the cup. Okay, so let's take the Manchester City team that's been, you know, at the top level of English football for a number of years and look through it. You know, start with Edison in goal. Start with Cancelo at, uh, on one side. All right, put Carl Walker at the other. Um, you know, that that's two out of the back four are English. Move into midfield, Rodri, Gundogan, you know, maybe one in Foden. Sterling's not there anymore, obviously. There isn't an awful lot of English players there. So the top, top level has some English players in and among it, but not an entire 11, not anywhere near close to it. The point I'm trying to make is that England are top heavy. Okay, you've got a great forward line, in my opinion, as good as anybody else in the world. But in the midfield, you're lacking. In defence, you're lacking. And that's undeniable for me. Um Senegal, African champions, that ain't an easy game. Never said it was an easy game. I said that England beat the teams that they should beat. And they should beat Senegal based on the two squads and the fact that Senegal were without the player that's carried them over the line um, and been their talisman for so many years in Sadio Mane. You have to think about all these things. Um, What else have we got? Uh, Maximus says... Southgate's career highlight was relegating Middlesbrough and he manages England. You guys are a joke defending him. International management, mate, is a totally different thing to club management. Completely different. Completely different. You don't get time on the training ground with these players. You don't get the opportunity to work week in, week out with them. You don't get the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to embed philosophies. You have to be really pragmatic. You have to be really quick in sort of coming up with plans and ideas. You have to be very reactive to how things are going in club football. And when he's not reactive to what's happening in club football, people criticise him and say, oh my God, he's not picking the form players. He's picking the players he trusts and the players he knows because of all of what I've just said, because he doesn't have time to sit there and reinvent the wheel with new players when he only gets them every few months, especially going into this tournament where the season was a mess because of the tournament taking place uh, in the middle of the campaign and we lost one of the international breaks, it makes it even more difficult. But people want to ignore that. Gareth Southgate, I think, has done a, a good job. And and the way you can read that and, and the way you can quantify that is to go back and look at England's records in the tournaments prior to Gareth Southgate's arrival. When they had Michael Owen up front, Wayne Rooney up front, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Paul Scholes, Sol Campbell, Rio Ferdinand, those were world-class players and they didn't manage anything. So there you have it, you know, that's what you got to look at. 
Um, Millie says uh, the problem with the England players is not that they don't have the skills or the talent to play. It's their mentality that is lacking. Yeah, maybe so. And maybe it's because everybody puts so much bloody pressure on them all the time. Maybe it's because they go into tournaments and into these games feeling like they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders because the level of expectation that follows them around is way beyond what it should be. And I don't understand why people get defensive when you say that. If you haven't won a World Cup since 1966, you have no divine right to turn up and beat the world champions. You have no divine right to go further than the semi-finals like they did in the last competition. You have no divine right to win the European Championships. They had a great tournament in the Euros. They went to the final and they lost by the finest of margin. And the reason it's also flip-flop is that if Gareth Southgate won that Euros, if they won on penalties, which is out of his control, Gareth Southgate isn't stepping up and taking the penalties, then you'd be looking at him and you'd be going... Oh, my God, Gareth Southgate's the first England manager to win a title since 1966. And you'd all have statues of him and posters of him and God knows what else. And he'd be Sir Gareth Southgate. It's the finest of margins. And, and those margins are not always in a manager's control. And, and that's the point here. You know, people have to just chill out a little bit in calling for his head. It's, it's, it's nonsense, in my opinion. Um, he's taken He's taken England to heights in the last three tournaments beyond what they'd achieved in the past. Okay, the quarterfinal stage is it was the minimum, I think, that England fans expected going into this competition. And it's probably the minimum for me as well, looking at their squad. But at the same time, when you come up against France, it can go either way. Okay, it can go either way against a very, very good, experienced French side. And for all those that say that Gareth Southgate's too negative and too defensive, Didier Deschamps isn't exactly an expansive manager, is he? All the managers that have won things in recent history at international level have been pragmatists for the exact reasons that I explained earlier. But anyway, that's enough about England in general. Um, let me make it clear. I don't hate England. Why would I hate England? Um, it's absolute nonsense take. I'm disappointed that someone's actually come out with that because I can. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Speak honestly about it, the England football team. It means I have a dislike for the entire nation. Absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. But anyway, let's talk about our star boy, as Paratosh says in the chat, Bukayo Saka. Had a really great tournament. Really, really great tournament. So proud of him. Um, so good to see that the rest of the world or the rest of the UK is recognising what Bukayo Saka is and understanding it now. You know, because Bukayo Saka for me is somebody who, you know, has, has always been loved by Arsenal fans and has always been recognised for his talents by Arsenal fans. But maybe when you talk to people outside, the opinion of him is, I'm not going to say bad or poor, but it, it's, it's a little bit less. And I've always felt that I've had to kind of fight Bukayo Saka's case in a lot of these conversations. But when he goes to the World Cup, and produces uh, like that and performs like that, then, you know, 
he's he's done the talking for me you know he's he's done the talking for himself and he's so humble and so likable i think james madison said earlier in the week that if his sister told him or something that she was going out on a date with a footballer he'd want it to be uh bukayo saka because he's such a nice lad you know very humble obviously has strong religious beliefs at the heart of his sort of mentality and 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 sort of character because he's talked about that quite a bit um and yeah, you know, great to see him obviously thriving at the tournament. I'll tell you what's another thing that that I'm not happy about, but I think we might benefit from as a football club. You know, when we go into games and, and we see teams do it, try and do a number on Bukayo Saka, we see teams go around and purposely try to kick Bukayo Saka and, and stop his rhythm and stop his flow. And every time he drifts inside, you know, they rotate and they tactically foul him and all of that stuff. Actually, to see it, at the World Cup stage, I think does us as a football club a bit of a favour because now the wider English fan base has seen it. When it's Arsenal, they go, oh, look, typical Arsenal, just crying, moaning, whinging. You know, it's Arsenal looking to gain an advantage. Same old Arsenal always cheating as the chant goes, all of that nonsense. But actually for England fans, English officials, the FA to watch Bukayo Saka on the world stage, get that, um, you know, get get that level of sort of um, treatment and then themselves feel frustrated about it. I think subconsciously plants a seed. I think what it does is it lets those people know that, you know, that is a thing, reminds them that that is a thing. And I think when we go back into the Premier League, hopefully, I'm hoping now that his value for England's increased and people have seen what he's all about, I'm hoping that it will lead to referees giving him a bit more protection because he certainly needs it. You know, he's he's so talented, he's so good, he's so important for us, he's so important for England. And I just want him, I just want to see him treated fairly. But yeah, so so proud of uh, of his display and um and his performances. And um, you know, it's unfortunate for him that England are out, but you know, we get him back sooner. And um and that's not a bad thing. You know, there's about what 15 days until the game against West Ham United. We've already seen Ben White and Thomas Partey return, which we'll talk about in just a minute, uh, to training. Granite Jack is back in the picture as well. Um, you know, we're hoping that Zinchenko will be fit enough for Boxing Day as well. But to have Bukayo Saka, so to be able to give him sort of a five, six days break now, rest, and then get him back and get him up to speed again, it, it is so key, I think. Because, you know, we talk about giving these players a, a six, seven, maybe eight day break, and they probably need it. But their fitness isn't going to fall off that much in that period of time because they've been at peak condition at this World Cup. So, yeah, let's see. Um, let's see how it goes. Hopefully, England's premature exit, although a big disappointment for a lot of people, uh, will will be of some benefit to Mikel Arteta and Arsenal moving into the second half of the campaign. Um, I do want to talk about Harry Kane just quickly because obviously he's getting a lot of stick, and obviously we're gonna um, we know that you know <laughs> we know that he's gonna be the brunt of many jokes now. Uh, we know that you know this whole Kane's gonna go trophyless thing is 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 going to continue the narrative around that is going to continue people aren't going to stop with that because of what happened here but if we're being completely honest Harry Kane was probably England's best player last night even ahead of Bukayo Saka for me he caused France so many problems with his movement the way he rolled the defender in the first half to create that chance for himself essentially where Hugo Lloris obviously came out and confronted him uh, the first penalty was brilliant um, you know, Harry Kane is is a real top player. As much as it kills me and pains me to say, it, I can be honest. 
You know, some people in the chat don't like that, but I can be honest. And he is a fantastic player. That penalty will not define Harry Kane, or it shouldn't define Harry Kane, you know, because at the end of the day, the defence conceded a couple of goals. Uh, the first one, I don't think they could have done an awful lot about. I saw some people being really critical of um, of Jordan Pickford. I don't really think you can be. I think that the way Chiumani hit that ball was so clean. Um, and obviously it went through, what, a couple of pairs of legs. I think it makes it very difficult for Pickford to see it. And by the time he does see it, such is the ferocity uh, of the shot. He's not going to save that for me. Um, you know, that's 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 where I'm at. Uh, Paritosh says, do you think that Kane might be transitioning into a deeper line player because he has no legs left? That's the only thing, isn't it? You know, um, you look at Harry Kane and you think, you know, my God, like you're so talented and you've got that footballing brain but sometimes your legs just don't carry you to do what it is that you want to do. And maybe that's that's a solution, Paratoj. Maybe he does uh, need to drop into a slightly deeper position. Maybe he can't be the main focal point, as in the striker. Maybe he needs to be a second striker. Maybe he needs to be um, the guy dropping off. But then if you are the guy dropping off and there's another guy, do you still create those same spaces by dropping off? That's the the big question and the big debate around this. But look, you know, he's, he's a fantastic player. He leveled Wayne Rooney's uh, record yesterday. He could have surpassed him um, with that second goal if he'd scored from the spot. It wasn't to be. He will surpass Wayne Rooney and um, and he will get his flowers in that sense. But yeah, he'll be disappointed. He'll be heartbroken. Obviously, if I could have picked one of the England players to, to mess it up, it would have been a Spurs player. So um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say I'm uh, heartbroken for him. I won't go that far, but obviously I think some of the criticism that he's getting off the back of this is unfair. And it just goes to show, you know, how fickle people are. Um, you know, on the one hand, you're lauding someone and then just a minute later, because of one incident, you can be completely shifted and swayed the other way. And the same is with the manager. Because as I say, had Gareth Southgate's England won that shootout against Italy, he'd be arguably in the conversation as one of England's greatest ever managers. You know, you could still make the conversation that he is in that. You, sorry, you could still make the argument that he is in that conversation because of where England have got to in these matches. But let's see. Let's see. Um, just wanted to quickly touch on uh, the news that Ben White and Thomas Partey are back uh, with the team training. Great to see because it means that they've had uh, their breaks uh, we know that Ben White had a personal issue to deal with, so I don't know how much of a break it was, but he has joined back up with Arsenal in Dubai. Him and Thomas Partey were being put through their paces in a video that we saw uh, from the official Arsenal Twitter account, which is good news because it means that hopefully they'll be available for that game against West Ham when the Premier League returns. Uh, just wanted to quickly touch on Eddie Nketiah's comments as well. He's been talking, of course, ahead of Arsenal's game against Milan uh, in the Dubai Super Cup. That game takes place on Tuesday and we're going to be doing a live watch along for it. Um, really looking forward to that because I really enjoyed the one that we did uh, it, for the game against Leon. You know, obviously they're not the greatest games to watch. Yeah, we all know that. Um, we all know that they are. How do you put it? Um, you know, they're a bit difficult to watch, aren't they? You know, they're a bit difficult to kind of stay engaged with. Um, you know, it was it's good to see 
obviously Eddie and Ketia getting an opportunity just to fine tune his game uh, to the way that Mikel Arteta wants it because it looks as though he's going to be the one uh, to cover Gabby Jesus's injury. So, you know, he can only benefit from getting that game time, even if it is uh, not competitive necessarily. But he did score against Leon, and he's been speaking ahead of the game against Milan. And he said, uh, when asked about the Jesus injury, he said, look, of course, it's an opportunity for myself. You've just got to be ready for the moment when it comes. I've been working hard all season, and I'm sure when I get the opportunity, I'll be able to come in and help the team. He also said that he spoke to Gabby Jesus and wished him a speedy recovery. He said, it's never nice to see anyone miss a World Cup. And also for us as a team, he is a big player. We're going to miss him and we're all behind him. So, um, yeah, amazing stuff. Uh, that's what, exactly what you want to hear from Eddie and Ketia. Uh, also, Matt Turner is back in training with the Gunners. Alexander Zinchenko uh, was in training with the group at Al Maktoum uh, as well with the rest of the team as he continues to recover from a muscle problem. Arsenal, according to Kaya Kainak of Football.London, is still uh, hopeful that he'll be back in time for Boxing Day, as already mentioned. OK, let's take a couple of questions uh, before I disappear for the afternoon. Thank you all so much for joining in. As always, great to see so many of you in the live chat. Can I make a small request? Because there are over 250 of you with me live right now. There's only 54 likes on the board. There's no reason why we shouldn't have 100. And also, don't forget, if you sign up to the Chronicles of Aguna Premium uh, via the link in the description on the anotherslice.com platform, uh, you will be gifted two months free membership. Anyone that does that up to Christmas will get two months free membership. I'll go in at the back end and I'll activate that code on your account. So thank you. Uh, so, so much for those that already have and for those that will. But yeah, like and subscribe because uh, we're around about a couple of hundred subscribers away from getting that 25,000 milestone. And we're going to have a bit of a party when we do. Uh, so if we can make it before Christmas, that would be bloody amazing. We're going to have a Christmas party on the Chronicles of Aguna live. We'll invite lots of you on. We'll do something special. Um, I haven't got it exactly mapped out in my head yet, but we'll do something. Uh, so yeah, please do. Okay, uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Um, let's see what else we've got. I saw a, an interesting question about Morocco, who have obviously uh, been brilliant at this competition. I can't believe they beat Portugal yesterday as well. Uh, it just continues, doesn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, if you have half-decent talent in the final third, which they do, you know, in Ziyech, um, in, in Naziri, who scored the goal yesterday, in uh, Sofiane Bufal, who's been... Really impressive at this World Cup. I know Southampton fans will be scratching their heads as to, you know, where was this when he was playing for us? But at international level, he's been fantastic. Amrabat in midfield has been amazing too. My only worry for Morocco, because a lot of people said that when they beat Spain, that was it. That that was their big moment. And therefore, they, they weren't going to be able to reset and go again. But they did against Portugal. My only fear for Morocco is that going into the game against Portugal, they had two of the back four that had got them that far, Masraoui and Aguirre, were out injured. They lost another centre-back. Um, I think it was Roman Saiz uh, yesterday, which means that they're now potentially going into that semi-final with a very strong French side, as we've discussed, with three of the back four missing. And I hope for them that that's not too much of an issue. Uh, but if they can defend the way they have been, then they always stand a chance because they always have that in them to go and nick a goal. And they look quite handy on the counter-attack for a side that aren't uh, looking to take the game to their opponent. You know, Ashraf Hakimi um, is such an amazing outlet. There was a moment yesterday towards the end of the game where he picked up the ball 
And he just carried it about 40, 50 yards and just gave everybody a breather. Obviously, um, you know, burning into his own energy reserves. But he he just gives them something, you know, and he's a top, top player, as we saw uh, when he stepped up and penenked it down the middle uh, to give them the win over Spain. OK, let's take a few more of your questions and thoughts. Um, Lynn says, my criticism with Kane, going back to the England theme, is that he should have allowed Saka to take the second penalty because, in my opinion, knowing Saka, it would have gone in. So I'm generally, not just, you know, in this instance, I'm generally against the player taking two penalties in the same match. I don't think it's a good look. No, let me rephrase that. It's not about how it looks. It's about the fact that I think as a goalkeeper, you've done your homework on someone and fool you once, but they might not fool you twice. And I think as well, the other thing is that as a striker, it probably casts doubt in your mind. So, you know, again, I always say this, I I played football to a good level, not not Premier League level, obviously. Um, But as I was growing up, I played to a very, very high level and I was a striker and I took a lot of penalties. And whenever there was an occasion or a circumstance when I had to take more than one in a game, and that does happen quite a lot, you you almost have this mental battle with yourself. You think to yourself, okay, I went my normal way the first time. Has he read that now? And do I change it up? Or will he assume that I am going to change it up and stick to my guns and do what I'd normally do? Do I slightly change my technique? Do I slightly change the angle from which I approach the ball? I think there's a lot of things that can go through your head that just cause a cloud of uncertainty. And that's not what you need when you're taking a penalty. So generally speaking, I am against players taking a second penalty in a football match. I'm against players, even if they've taken one in 90 minutes, taking one in a penalty shootout. I'm against all of that because I think that it causes confusion, doubt in the mind. And I think that as a penalty taker, one of the most important things is to be clear in your head as you step up. So I agree with you that Kane shouldn't have taken it, but Saka could have quite easily missed it as well. You know, anybody can miss a penalty, even the greatest. Look how many Lionel Messi's missed throughout his career. So, you know, that's, you know, I think it's one of those where with hindsight, we can say that it was wrong to let Kane take it. But at the time, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. Uh, Amir, just going back to when I was talking about the Arsenal game against Leon, he says, uh, I was grinning like an idiot throughout the first half of that Leon game. The World Cup's been entertaining, but Arteta ball is something else. Love it. Uh, Gangle says, do you think Morocco can reach the final? I don't think they will, but I can't write them off. How can I? You know, they've stunned people over and over and over again. They've shown people that, you know, they can they can get into this really stubborn shape and they can, um, you know, frustrate people for long, long periods. Obviously, they need a little bit of luck, but at the same time, they've also got a threat the other way. And that makes them a very, very dangerous team. And add on top of all of that, the support that they have at this World Cup, which is unbelievable. Did you listen to when they were belting out their national anthem before the game? That, if anything, gives you an indication of A, how passionate they are, but B, how many of them are there. You know, both ends of the stadium. Normally you get one end, which is dominated by one team. Obviously, there are mixed sections in the World Cups, but you tend to get the two different ends, both ends against Portugal were, were full of Moroccans. They have taken the place over and, and fair play to them. Fair play to them. 
Uh, what else have we got in the chat? Um, Lynn makes the point about Morocco's not having the pressure and that that takes a weight off their shoulders. I, I do think there's something in that. You know, as I mentioned, England have the weight of the world on their shoulders every time they go into a competition. I think that weighs heavy on the players. Whereas Morocco, whatever happens now, they've had an amazing tournament. First African side ever to reach a World Cup semi-final, which is really something. Um, and, you know, their people are buzzing. And, and why shouldn't they be? They should be incredibly proud. OK, guys, uh, we are going to leave it there. Thank you all so much, as always, for tuning in. Don't forget to leave a like on the video. Uh, we're around about 18 away from that 100 like target that I set just a few moments ago. So please help me get there. Like, 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 share, share, share. You know the drill by now. Uh, subscribe if you're listening on audio. Subscribe if you're with us on YouTube as well. And we'll be back tomorrow uh, with some more Arsenal-related content. Until tomorrow, take care of yourselves, stay safe, all the best, and uh, enjoy what remains of your weekend. Have a good one, guys. Take care. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.